The following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. And now we get to get into the text together. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you grab a hold of them and open them up to 1 Samuel chapter 28? 1 Samuel 28. We do have hardback black Bibles under every single chair. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 28 is on page 250 in those Bibles. You're welcome to those. Uh, You're also welcome to open a phone or a tablet to 1 Samuel 28. We'll be uh, reading from the the English Standard Version, the ESV. Um, But that's where we're going to spend our time, 1 Samuel 28. As you're meeting me there, I've told you before that my daughter Harper, when she was much younger, she's seven, almost eight now, but when she was younger, uh, she was afraid of certain parts of her favorite Disney movies. Like there were parts of the the movies that that freaked her out, okay? So for example, in Beauty and the Beast, uh, when we got to the scene where Belle is being attacked by wolves, she got scared. Understandably, okay, she got scared and she would cover her eyes and like try to hide her face from watching that. And so we would just skip over the wolf scene because she she only liked the fun scenes in that movie. Okay, she liked the singing dishes. That was pretty fun. Uh, She liked the girl in a beautiful dress and she liked the dancing dog, which is what she called the beast. Okay, the dancing dog. Uh But, but we skipped the scary parts. We skipped them because they scared her. Uh, in The Little Mermaid, The Little Mermaid, uh, Harper was terrified of Ursula the sea witch. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, this half octopus, half creepy woman who turned people into those crusty garden slug things. Which, by the way, is terrifying. <laughs> All right, so, so it's prob- I'm a bad parent for letting her watch that, okay? Uh, but, but we'd skip that. We would skip that section because she did not like Ursula. Uh, and then I've told you that her favorite year, uh, movie for years was uh, Frozen. She, she loved Frozen, but that darn snow monster, right? That darn snow monster, you know, that monster that Elsa created to attack and nearly kill her sister? Remember that part of that gem? Yo, Disney is sketchy, just so you know. <laughs> This is not probably what we should be showing our children, but, uh, but she didn't like that scene either, all right? So we'd skip those parts. We would skip over those parts that scared her, and then I would have to deal with her hiding her eyes and crying and like waking up at 2.30 in the morning, afraid that the snow monster is attacking her, um, and I would have to say things like this. It's okay, sweetie. It's okay. It's okay. There aren't any wolves, except for they're letting them back in Colorado, so maybe there are, but there aren't any <laughs> wolves. There aren't any, there aren't any witches. There aren't any witches. Uh, monsters aren't real. And I would just try and assure her, hey, don't be scared. Don't be scared. I'm calling today's sermon, Don't Be Scared. Don't be scared. Because our passage in 1 Samuel today is, hear me, scary. It's scary, and, and I don't think it's probably scary in the ways you might think I mean, if you know what 1 Samuel 28 is about. But don't be scared. Don't be scared. But there are some things to be scared of. There are some things to be afraid of. So we've been studying the book of 1 Samuel for a while now, and we're coming to the end of this book. It's a book about the beginning of the life of King David. But before David would be crowned king, there is a first king of Israel, and his name is Saul. And Saul had been the people's choice for king. 
right? We, we, we read about this. He was tall and good looking. He was a great warrior leader. He was an obvious choice to be the king, but, but he refused to trust God. He refused to trust God. He refused to do things God's way. And so God rejected him as king. God rejected him, uh, and then God had Samuel, Israel's premier prophet, the prophet of Israel, Samuel, anoint David as the next king. So he anoints him as the next king, and Saul then becomes super jealous of David, understandably, because he's going to take over for this guy. Uh, And then he tried to have him murdered. He tried to murder him himself. And for years and years, Saul has been trying to get rid of David. But now, as we get to the end of this book, Saul's life begins to unravel. His life is falling apart. And today, if there was a, a bottom falling out moment, if there's a rock bottom for Saul, this is it. Don't be scared. But there are some very real and terrifying things for us in this text. You'll see it. Okay, here we go. 1 Samuel 28, starting in verse 1. In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. So if you remember where we were at last week, when David realizes this thing with Saul is not going to stop, he he decides to go to the one place where he knows Saul will not go and cannot go to chase him. So he goes to the Philistines. He runs to Israel's arch enemy, the Philistines, and kind of shacks up with them. That's the idea here, okay? And so for 16 months, for almost a year and a half, David has been fighting alongside Israel's nemesis, the Philistines. But he's not been fighting against Israel. He's been fighting against other neighboring tribes like the Canaanites. And now Achish, who is the king of the Philistines, tells David, hey, we're going to go and attack Israel. We're going to go attack your people. And David, we're not, sh- like David has a choice here. Like, is he going to actually fight with, with uh, Achish against the Israelites? Or is he going to turn and actually be on team Israel again? And David is kind of cryptic in his response, right? He says, you shall know what I can do. Did you read that? Which is kind of like, what does that mean? Are you going to stab me in the back or what? Like, but, 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 but Akish thinks he's on my team, so I'm going to make him my bodyguard for life. Now, here, that's verses 1 and 2. Now the scene shifts, like a hard left turn. The scene shifts in verse 3. So look at this. Now Samuel had died. We found out about that in chapter 25, actually. So Samuel, the prophet of Israel, is dead. And all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul, King Saul, had put out the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Now, verse 3 sets up this whole chapter. Sets up this whole chapter. The prophet Samuel is dead. That, it reminds us of that. But then it says that Saul had put out of the land mediums and necromancers. So that's weird. Right, that's, that's, that's weird for Bible, 
to me at least, it's weird, okay? As I was studying this scripture uh, this week, I thought, man, if you're a guest today, like if you're a guest with us today, or maybe, oh, look, listen, if, you, if you're not even a Christian in here, you don't follow Jesus, that could sound weird, right? Mediums, necromancers, right? Like, I, I mean, I know everybody's seen the Dungeons and Dragons movie. That's what that sounds like, not the Bible. What's going on? Do you, do you guys really believe this stuff? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Christians do believe in dark and demonic forces. We believe this stuff. But then again, we also believe that a man who was confirmed dead by Rome came back to life three days after he was buried in the ground. So yeah, we believe some weird things. Our whole thing, the whole thing, Christianity, it's based off of some things that don't normally happen, okay? So yeah, we believe some strange stuff. But here's what I want you to know. The Old Testament law, both in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy, forbids mediums and wizards and necromancers. I'm not making this up. For those who consult the spirits of the dead, it makes that unlawful under Israel, Israel's law. It actually calls those things, here's the word, abominations calls them abominations. And the fact that Moses in the law had to actually write those laws down, like the very need for those prohibitions indicates that there was a problem of necromancy. There was a problem of religious practices regarding the dead. It was actually, if we study this, it was actually widespread in ancient Canaan in this ancient Israel, these areas around there, for them to invoke the dead and seek these superstitious spiritual practices. So just by way of definition, necromancy is the practice of invoking the dead, invoking somebody who is dead, and it's associated with those who are called mediums who attempt to communicate with spirits, like in a seance or something. You might have an image from a movie or a show or a book or something come to your mind. That's kind of what this is talking about. So this verse is telling us that Saul had, had kicked all of those people out of Israel in accord with God's word, with God's law. So God had said these things are not to be tolerated in Israel. And so Saul had banished them to you know, Hogwarts or somewhere. I don't know where they've been banished to, but let's, let's keep reading. Verse four. So the Philistines assembled and came to encamp at Shunem. And Saul gathered all Israel and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. So this is the Philistines marching on Israel that we just heard about, that Achish just told David they were going to do. He said, we're going after the Israelites. That's this battle, okay? Now, when Saul sees the, the, the Philistines assembling, he freaks out and look at verse six. And when Saul inquired of the Lord... The Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Now, those three things are really important because those three things, dreams, Urim and Thummim and prophets, are the prescribed methods that were normally used in Israel to seek divine guidance. 
Those three things are the primary ways that God gave his people guidance in the Old Testament. God often spoke to people through dreams. Think of Joseph and his coat, his colored coat. He gets dreams. Both he, he, is, the, he is the one who receives dreams and he is the interpreter of dreams from God. So dreams are one way. Second, the priests would use these two stones, the Urim and Thummim. We talked about this a number of weeks ago, but uh, this is a method that the priests would use to discern God's will. Nobody knows exactly how these two things work. I talked about how some think, some think that the Urim and Thummim are almost like, uh, like a yes-no, kind of a binary way to check God's will. Others think that it's more like, a, like an Old Testament magic eight ball that you can like say yes, no, or like come back later, right? Ask again, like, which is the most infuriating thing every time you shake that ball. Like that's, that's one way uh, people think about that. And then the third is that God sends prophets. So God, God speaks to people in dreams. He speaks to people through this binary or you know, this priestly method of in- inquiring God's will. And he also speaks through the prophets like Samuel, Samuel. So these three ways that God spoke to people in these times are the ways by which Saul inquires. He inquires of the Lord. I'm assuming inquiring about how to fight these Philistines. But the text says that the Lord did not answer. God's gone silent for Saul. Now look at verse seven. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. And Saul asked, Endor, isn't that where the Ewoks live in Star Wars? And his servants say, Yes, they do. (laughs) Trust me, it's in there, okay? It's in there. Verse 8 So Saul disguised himself as a Jedi Knight, no doubt. (laughs) It's in the Hebrew. (laughs) He disguised himself. He put on other garments and he went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, surely, you know what Saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? Which is the prescribed uh, penalty for necromancy and mediums. You would be put to death. She's like, why are you doing this? Surely you know. Verse 10, but Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. So this is thick with irony. Thick with irony. Saul, the very one who banished these abominations, goes in disguise to this woman who practices abominations, and then he swears by Yahweh. He swears by God that it's okay for her to call someone up from the dead. The very thing that God said, don't do that. He's like, no, no, I swear by Yahweh, everything will be cool. So verse 11. Then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, bring up Samuel for me. Now, honestly, I'm not sure what, she, what he's thinking at this point. 
right? If, if, if I were summoning someone up through a demonic ritual, okay, in direct violation of God's word, I probably wouldn't call the most like aggressive and uh, epitome of prophets of God, right? So it'd be like, it'd be like, hey, you know what? Go to the medium and why don't you just call up the spirit of Billy Graham? He'll be pleased. He'll be real happy that you called him, right? Like that's what's going on here. He's, he's very desperate at this point. He's very desperate. Look at verse 12. When the women saw Samuel, when a woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman uh, said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. So this, this spirit of Samuel must have informed her, hey, that's no Jedi knight. That's Saul. It's the king. And then the king said to her, don't be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. If you remember the last encounter between Saul and Samuel was the moment that Samuel, or Saul grabs at Samuel's robe and tears it. And Samuel says to him, just like you've torn this robe, so too has God torn the nation of Israel from you. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Now, all sorts of questions come up at this point for us. All sorts of questions come into my mind. Is the Bible really telling us that this woman was able to conjure or, or to connect with the spirit of the dead prophet Samuel? Yes, it is. At, at the very least, whatever you make of this, at the very least, the Bible is showing us that God permitted the spirit of Samuel to communicate to Saul through this medium. You're like, that sounds like science fiction. I'm like, yeah, it is. And yet the text is pointing us to that conclusion. And this raises all sorts of questions. It, to me, it raises all sorts of questions about, okay, so how was this done? What was she doing? Can, can, can Saul hear it? Or is this really just the medium hearing it and then she's communicating? That's what it seems like to me. What sort of methods were used here? I mean, many questions come up in this passage. And I, here, here's what I want to tell you. The text doesn't answer any of them. It's like the writer doesn't even care if you know how to raise the dead. Okay? But the scriptures make it abundantly clear in this teaching that the dark arts are real and that they are dangerous and that they should not be trifled with. We'll talk a little bit about that more in a few minutes, but, but that's the story here. Let's keep going here. Verse 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I'm in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. So Saul sums up this predicament for Samuel. God's not answering me. God's not, I, I tried. I tried prophets. I tried dreams. He's not doing anything. So I summoned you. Samuel, 
dead Samuel, spirit of Samuel. I, saw, I need you to tell me what to do. Verse 16, and Samuel said, why then do you ask me? Since it is Yahweh who has turned from you and become your enemy. Yahweh has done to you as he spoke by me, for Yahweh has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Verse 18, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and you did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, Yahweh will give Israel into uh, give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Yahweh will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. I change, sometimes I say Yahweh, sometimes I say the Lord. Every time you see the Lord in the Old Testament, L-O-R-D capital, it in fact is representing Yahweh. That's God's proper name that he gives to Moses. And he keeps using it. Samuel keeps using it to emphatically say, God, Yahweh, you're, the Lord is against you. What are you doing? What are you doing? And he mentions this incident with Amalek that I think we need to remember, okay? This was a story that we studied back in 1 Samuel chapter 15. God had uh, told Saul to utterly destroy the Amalekites, and Amalek is their king, okay? And he says, God tells them, don't keep any of the spoils for yourself. Don't keep anybody alive. Kill them all. But Saul, Saul kept a bunch of the spoils. And he attempted a compromise when Samuel calls him out on it uh, by saying that, oh, I just kept them so that I could sacrifice them to, to Yahweh. I just kept him so that I could sacrifice to the Lord. And God said to him in 1 Samuel chapter 15, I'd rather have your obedience than your sacrifice. What good is your sacrifice when you're not even willing to obey me? And that's where he rejects him as king. Now, Saul, hear me, was upset about that. He was sad about that. But we never, ever see Saul repent of this. We never see him repent of his Defiance, And that's why I think he's not hearing from God now. Again, we'll get into that in a minute, but let me just, uh, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to just generally explain the end of this chapter and next chapter, because it's kind of a linking chapter to what we need to cover next week. Uh, but in, in verses 20 through 25, Saul is understandably upset by this news. He hears from Samuel, you and your sons, you're going to be with me tomorrow. So he's understandably upset, but, but finally he ends up taking some food and he sneaks back out of this woman's presence. And the text says that it, this all occurs in one night. He, he comes by night and he leaves by night. And I think they put that in there because this is, this is his last night. There will be no tomorrow night for Saul and his sons. Now, for our purposes today, let me just summarize chapter 29 because it's a linking chapter. 29 flashes back to verses 1 and 2 from 28. So remember, we started with Achish and David having this interchange and David kind of cryptically saying, ah, yeah, you'll see what I can do. And so what happens in chapter 29 is the other lords of the Philistines come to Achish and say, hey, we know that you trust David, but we don't trust him. And if we're going to go and fight the Israelites, I don't want him ready to stab me in my back because he might just get with Saul and be back on his good side if he, if he betrays us. 
So they end up telling David to go back to uh, Ziklag, which is the area of the Philistines' territory where he has been staying for 16 months. So David does not, in fact, march with the Philistines into this battle where Saul has just heard he will die. That's, that's what happens in chapter 29. I know I had to do that quickly, but we need to move on to chapter 30 next week. But, but that's what's going on here. With those things in mind, with that story in mind, here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time. I want to work out some applications specifically concerning Saul's encounter with this medium, because I think it will be very helpful and applicable to us. So here's what I've got for you for the remainder of our time. I've got three things that that are important to note in this text. The first one is back in verse 7. 28 verse 7. Uh, Now, actually, even before that, in verse 3, we're told that Saul had put out all of these mediums and necromancers. He'd put them all out. But now in verse 7, when the need arises, his guys know exactly where to find one. Endor. It's like without skipping a beat, they're like, oh yeah, there's one in Endor. Don't worry about it, buddy. Now, now, hear me, this is a bit speculative. So I'll step away from the Bible, right? We like to do that. We like to walk away from the Bible and say, I'm kind of speculating here. It's not black and white in the text, but that seems awfully convenient to me. It seems awfully convenient to have this medium close at hand. Oh yeah, she's in Endor. It won't take us long to find her. And I just wonder, I wonder, I think this would be in line with Saul's character. I wonder if he really wanted to look obedient to God. And so he said, put them all out. Put out all the mediums, all the necromancers. Like almost in a perception management style here. I just want them to see me obey God. But I wonder if his true intention is to keep them close enough for for a contingency plan, like a just in case. And I think that's applicable for us today because it's my first point of application. See, there's a difference between trusting and hedging. And there is a difference between trusting in God fully and then hedging your bets. This is a great temptation for us. Saul tried to inquire the Lord by the prescribed methods, dreams and the rocks and and, and the prophets. He tried the prescribed godly methods, but he also had this medium at hand. He, 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 He hedged his bets. He wanted at some level to do it God's way, but he also wanted to just keep a little control just in case, just in case. And oh, how I think this might be a problem for us, church. Because when things start to get a bit janky in our lives, see, so very often we we want to try God's way first. We want to try it, right? We try church. We try to pray. Try to read the, the Bible. We try to trust God. But... If those things don't work fast enough or in the way that we expect them to work, our next impulse can be to take matters into our own hands and look to plan B, look to the contingency. 
we hedged our bets over there. And listen, it may be in some dangerous things. Like in this text. I mean, I know we're, you know, smart, intelligent, educated, modern human beings in this room. I know that, okay? But the studies show that as participation in, in religion goes down in this country, superstitious practices like this are on the rise. I mean, things like using tarot cards and crystals and amulets and palm reading and energy balancing and like chakra work. These things have all gone up noticeably in recent years. Actually, the more irreligious a person describes themselves, the more likely they are to buy into these superstitious spiritual practices. Which is fascinating, but, but hear me, Jesus calls his followers to only be with him. To be all in. You don't hedge your bets. You push all in with Jesus. Jesus demands total fidelity from his followers. So, are you trusting God? Or are you hedging your bets? Now, I want us to take a moment and move on from that point, because I think there's many ways we could do this. We don't have time to get into this, but I want us to note something else important in this, this story. First, Saul inquired of the Lord. We've already talked about that. He inquired of the Lord by dreams and by Urim and Thummim and by prophets. But just note, he goes to the Lord only when he needs something. Why is he doing this? It's because the Philistines are attacking him. And he's terrified of the Philistines. It's only when he needs something that he goes to God. He's not genuinely seeking God. He's, he's using God to get out of a jam. And there's a big difference there. It's my second point this morning, okay? There's a difference between seeking and using. There's a difference between seeking God and using God for our own means. And we know, we know from the Bible that Saul is not genuinely seeking God here. You're like, well, it kind of seems like he was, at least at first. No, he's not. We know that because in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, Chronicles is a parallel book working its way through the same time as 1 Samuel. But in 1 Chronicles chapter, uh, uh, chapter 10, I'm sorry, verses 13 and 14, I'll put this up on the screen. This is what it says. So Saul broke faith with the Lord in, in that he did not keep the command of the Lord, but also consulted a medium. There's today. Seeking guidance, verse 14, he did not seek guidance from the Lord. You're like, well, it says that he did. This is showing us that in his heart, he wasn't actually seeking guidance from the Lord. He wasn't seeking God in those situations at all. He wasn't seeking God. He was seeking a way out. And he just tried God first. He wasn't seeking God. He wanted to use God for his ends. And I'll quote uh, Christian psychologist Larry Crabb here. He says this, our problem is that we don't want to find God to know him. We want to find him in order to use him to make our lives work. This is dangerous. 
This is a dangerous proposition to use God to make our lives work. And just listen to me. I've studied the Bible for almost 20 years now. God will not be used by you. Men, we heard about this at the men's breakfast yesterday, that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's because God will not be used by you. You cannot play games with Yahweh. Samuel just smacks that in Saul's face. There's a difference between seeking and using. Now, let me make a caveat here, okay? Let me, let me illustrate here. Uh, God will always welcome and respond to someone who's seeking him. Anytime someone seeks him, he will respond. He will always be the good father welcoming the wayward prodigal to come home in repentance. Always. God always receives someone who runs to him humbly in repentance, begging for his mercy and forgiveness. He will always respond to the seeker. But he will not respond to one who is merely trying to use him. So imagine a wife who is serially, serially unfaithful to her husband, just cheating on her husband again and again and again, yet she has the audacity to ask her husband to support her, pleading for his security and provision just until she finds someone else to shack up with. There's actually a whole prophetic book in the Old Testament that follows that train of thought. It's a totally different scenario than one who humbly with repentance in their heart runs to him. Guys, Saul doesn't want God in this. He's not seeking God. He's just in a bind and wants somebody, anybody to stop it. Even if that means turning and using demonic practices to find relief. It all indicates that there has been no change in Saul's heart towards God. This is merely, let me use you to get out of trouble. And so this is, hear me, this is a very important and scary point from this text. It is possible to come to God in an idolatrous way that he will not receive. It's, it's possible to come to him, trying to use him, and find him rejecting you, not welcoming you. And that's what leads us to the third application. Remember what was said in verse six. It said, when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him. God had gone silent on him. Why? Why didn't God answer him? Well, it's because Saul never listened to him before. I mean, consider this, okay? Did Saul ever listen to the prophet Samuel when he was alive? No. He didn't listen to him. That's in part why God rejected him. Uh, did Saul respect the priestly Urim and Thummim and the process by which it was used to discern God's will? Did, God, did he respect that at all? Absolutely not. 
Only a few chapters ago, he killed 85 priests at Nob in response to them helping out David. He kills all of the priests, ostracizing himself from that method. And so we have to look down to verse 18 one more, one more time. Why doesn't the Lord answer Saul? It's very clear in verse 18. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord. That's why God's not answering him. Because you haven't listened. It's the third application. There is a difference between repenting and religion. There's a difference here. Saul is so caught up in trying to religiously manipulate the situation. First, by by trying to religiously manipulate Yahweh and use him. But then he moves to darker religious practices, even those that God had called abominations. He does all kinds of religious things. He's very religious. But he never repents. He never repents. And I think this is applicable, y'all, because I'm, I very often meet with people who are in crisis and they have no idea what to do. Whether it's choices that they've made or choices that have affected them, they found themselves in this place where they don't know what to do. They don't know what their next step forward in life is. And so they come to me inquiring of the Lord, God, just tell me what to do. Just tell me what to do. But I wonder if maybe for some, you might look back at a time in your life where you started to say no to God. Maybe you could look backwards and say, there was a time when I started saying no to God about something and I've never repented of it. And perhaps God won't hear your prayers today because you're still in broken fellowship with him from that. You started praying now about this. You're praying right now about this now. I'm praying about this right now, and he doesn't want to talk about this right now. He wants to talk about that back then. He wants to talk about that unrepentant sin, known rebellion, which cuts you off from fellowship with God. If I, if I sound like I'm being harsh here, I'm, I promise I'm trying to be faithful to the text. Look at what Samuel says uh, in the prophecy over Saul when he fails with Amalek. This is what Samuel, dead Samuel, is referring to. Okay, back in chapter 15. Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. That's wild. Rebellion is as the sin of divination. That's foreshadowing. Oh, you rebelled me, rebelled against me. You did not heed my word. That's the same. It's calling up a medium, trying to get her to 
entreat the dead for guidance. He says, because you have rejected God's word, he has also rejected you. Church, this is the question for each one of us. Have you repented? Have you repented? We talk about this often. Repenting is not just feeling bad about something. It's, it's turning away from the old. It's an action. It's saying, that's the old me. I don't want to be that me. I am turning and I am walking in the other direction. I am going in a different direction. I am changing the course of my life. It's active. Have you repented? Or are you simply trying out religion? And you can play religion for a long time, for years, for decades, to obey is better than any religious practice. God rejects hollow religious practices, but he always receives repentant sinners. Always. Now here, I want to be real clear, real quick, okay? Uh, what I do not mean is that we are called to be living in fear all the time. That maybe we've got some unrepentant sin that we forgot about way back in our history and God's going to use that as just kind of like a technicality and it's like, oh, sorry, buddy. You forgot about that one. You missed that one. No, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about some area in your life that you know is not surrendered to him. That you are aware of and you are in rebellion against him because of that thing. And you continue to live there. I'll just say it like this. God doesn't want to talk about your problems today until you deal with your rebellion in whole. He will not be used. He will not be used. So I know I told uh, my daughter, don't be scared. Like I know that's what I told her. But I think there are some things in this text that are scary. And it's not even the witch. It's not even the old dead Samuel that scares me. Like those are kind of scary, but, but, but the stuff that you don't want to get mixed up in is the scary replacement of religion over true repentance. The more terrifying thing to me in this passage is that we have a guy on the surface, who looked pretty religious. That's what's scary about this to me. Think about Saul. Saul did a lot of very religiously acceptable and great even things um, in his life. He led Israel to great victories over godless pagan nations. He purged the land of witches and wizards almost, right? Kind of. He donated heavily, we know this, to temple worship. We see him giving big financial gifts to the worship of Yahweh. He seems to have been a pretty good family man. We have no uh, evidence of him having any sort of like extramarital affairs, unlike David, by the way. We'll get to that. He even prayed to God when he was in a jam. On the surface, if you were looking at Saul's life, you would say, that guy's actually pretty legit. We know behind the scenes because we're reading the book, but if you were watching Saul behave, if he were alive today, he's the kind of guy who'd be active in his church. Right? He's the kind of guy who would be successful in his career. He'd be a big giver. He'd go on mission trips. He might serve with the kids. 
but he's lost. He was lost. And that's why I had Matthew chapter seven read over us this morning. Not every, this is Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, this is talking about the end of times, the judgment. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Church, don't be scared. But that's scary. That's a scary text. Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we do mighty works? I mean, that's like varsity Christianity that he's saying you're participating in. Demon uh, exorcism is pretty high up there. I ain't never done it. He's like, I didn't, didn't ever know you. So I need you to be honest with yourself. I know this is church. It's no place to be honest, okay? But be honest with you, just, just with you today. Are you repenting? Are you repenting of your rebellion against God? We are all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Are you repenting of those things? Are you seeking God? Not just trying to get what he can do for you. Not just trying to get a Christian scrubbed up version of your life where everything kind of works out. Are you actually seeking him like the prodigal coming out of the squalor, coming to him begging for his mercy? The father will always receive that. Are you seeking him? And are you trusting God and his will alone? Not hedging your bets. Not holding on to some contingency plan. Are you all in? Hear me, just because you're super religious, it doesn't mean that you've repented. It doesn't mean that you've made Jesus your savior. Are you sure you've done that? You need to be. You need to be sure. You can surrender to him right now and look to him like the prodigal. I, have, I am unworthy. Father, receive me as your servant. And I promise you, he will not take you as a servant. He will take you as a son, as a daughter. If you seek him, you will find him with open arms to receive you as a child. But don't play games. You do not want to hear what Saul, I think, heard. I never knew you. Depart from me. That's scary. Let's pray together. Lord, this is a bizarre text. This is a weird one, Father. I just, I admit that this was one of those ones that I wasn't looking forward to preaching. And yet, Lord, the, the applicable reality to our lives is undeniable. 
Oh, the temptation to just be religious. Oh, the temptation to manage perception. Oh, the temptation to try to be in with you so that we get something out of it. And there are, Father, rich rewards for those who who bow the knee to you and follow you humbly. But we mustn't be those who, who follow you for something other than you in our lives. God, I want this for my friends here today. I want for each one to be assured that they aren't after something from you. They're not after God's stuff. They're after you, Father, a relationship with you. And so, Holy Spirit, do some work in our hearts. There might be men and women in here who've never bowed the knee to you. I pray they would. I pray they'd be good scared today. There would be a good fear that would lead to wisdom pray that it wouldn't be a Saul in this place today. One who's putting on the show with nothing in their hearts to back it up. Holy Spirit, only you can convict of a sin like this. Only you can move like this. So if you are whispering to someone, I pray that we have ears to hear. I pray that we have hearts that are soft. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you save today. You do that good work in our midst. So Father, we love you. Use these words, this text, to do deep heart work in our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.